So hello and welcome to episode one of the Rebel City podcast. Episode one, take two of the Rebel take City two. podcast. <laughs> we won't speak about that. But, uh, <laughs> my name's Paul. Um, just an introduction <clears throat> to myself and Matt, my co-presenter or co-host. I don't know what you call a podcast if you call it a host or a I presenter. I was hoping for sidekick. Sidekick. Aye. I'm happy. That means I'm Batman. Then. <laughs> um, uh, you can hit me up on Twitter. It's at Rebel City Paul. Um, and what we're going to do today is just a short half hour episode to introduce the podcast and introduce ourselves. Cool. So how are you going, Matt? I know bad, mate. Self? Very good, now that we're um, settled, settled <laughs> and recording. Brilliant. Uh, so I, um, as we, Paul, you can get me on Twitter at Rebel City Matt. Um, looking forward to getting started here, as we're saying, it's just a, a case of really looking for something in spare time to engage your brain, maybe get out there and, and talk to new people, you know, obviously, um, we were talking the other week there about, you know, the, the echo chamber online and stuff like that, so I think it's been a good excuse to, like, reach out and, and obviously, you know, talk to new folk, obviously, hopefully as we go and, you know, start to get guests and whatnot, yeah. enjoy Mer and Mer and that as we go, hopefully. For sure, we've already got a first couple of guests sorted and we'll touch on that a wee bit later on, but, um, like Matt was saying, it, it I think the podcast's a good way of sort of engaging the brain. Um, mm-hmm. My motivation behind doing the podcast is exactly that. And when I thought about who I was going to do it with, um, you were the first person that sprung to mind because, like, I've got a couple of mates that might need a creative outlet, but I feel that it's essential. Um, and mm-hmm. if and if I was going to do something like this, then I wanted to include somebody close, but also somebody that might need this type oh of thing just as much as I need it yep. so that was why I had thought about it but the main sort of thing about this podcast and what I want to do other than speak to a lot of people which is obviously definitely a motivation um, I'm at uni studying to become a, a therapist and part of that my full first year has been a, a lesson in communication and how to speak to people and yep. how, how to show people that you're actually listening mm-hmm which has been really interesting and I think that if the more people get to speak to, the better that I'll become with that. Can you teach me how to look like I'm listening to people? <laughs> um, no, you just need to actually listen, unfortunately, oh, right, okay. um, which isn't great, <laughs> especially if you're not really that interested in what the person's telling you. I'll, I'll get to it eventually. Yeah. Um, other than that, um, I really want to use this as a platform to help people. Um, about two years ago, I hate the, the term woke. But I woke okay. up. I woke up one day and found, t- to my extreme surprise, that I was heavily addicted to porn. Um, and really, what I did for there was just demolish my life. And I've continued for two mm. years to try and piece it back together. Um, it's been a long journey, but this is definitely part of that journey for me. Um, and I think that it's something that I've kept really close to my chest when it comes to my mates. Definitely. So. Um, I mean, I don't really know much about any of the struggles that you've had personally and sort of mental health. I think that we know that men struggle to speak about these things, so I'd be intrigued to know a wee bit about it. Okay. I mean, it, it is something that I've been kind of dealing on and off going spells for probably my late teens. Like, my first sort of big crash was during my sort of uni years, like third year at uni, where I was kind of doing English and politics. Um, crashed out, burned out. Um, went back the next year, just wasn't for me, and then I've just kind of really been out in the world, kind of trying to find something to make mine. Like I did a wee bit of 
TV, a wee bit of radio back in the days when I was a, a gopher. Um, so obviously this is something that I've a, a wee bit of familiarity with, even though it was a long time ago. Um, obviously I was pretty excited to be interviewing the First Minister one day and when he asked me for tea, that was pretty much it for me, I was done. <laughs> so you interviewed Alex? <clears throat> this would have been Jack McConnell. Jack McConnell? No, so at the point is I thought I was going to interview him and didn't I? And right. then that was me out of media, that was me done. So it was like, right. uh, so that was my last foray into entertainment. Um, in the years since, I've had pretty good spells where my mental health wasn't too bad. Um, kind of mid-twenties, early thirties it just basically kind of fell apart at the seams and like yourself I was just basically forced to confront it kind of head on um, but that still took probably a lot longer than it should have and a lot of that was done to just kind of keep it to myself really mm -hmm. and a lot of the time like, I know now that it's important to talk but that's a, a process that's been a process for me so it has like and I've always found that it's been a lot easier for me to do with people that I don't know so um, there's a, a group that I use when I'm in these sort of situations down towards sort of Celtic Park, uh, they're called Lifelink and they're literally just volunteers who make time for people in the community to, you know, educate them emotionally and talk through, you know, things like, you know, mindfulness and meditation and just kind of being more aware of yourself and mm -hmm. through being more aware of yourself, being more in control. And I think that's kind of where I'm of the new, that I'm, I'm as strong as I've ever been in that respect. Um, it's no perfect like it's still a day-to-day -day thing you know what i mean like doesn't it doesn't really go away but you learn to love it you know yeah I, mean? I think that um it's for me as well that awareness comes with more awareness mm. so it's just made me quite cynical i think you were on the other end of the spectrum where you've become quite involved in the i'm going to go help people and i'm going to mm -hmm. go and learn and and you know can i evolve as this person whereas i've kind of went yeah well, do you know what? Not I was, so much, you I was know? thinking about this earlier on as well that we were two like men that have grew up in the, in a in a similar environment yeah. um, and very similar circumstances, but we've seemed to have went to the other two ends of a spectrum. That I think there's still a lot we share in the middle, but there's sure. definitely in the last, I would say, probably around about the two year mark mm -hmm. that you talked about earlier on that we're past. I've definitely diverged in a lot of respects. Mm -hmm. Like, I think that. Um, yeah, but I think that with what you're saying, um, deal when you deal with a mental health issue, I think a, a lot of people struggle with that. Um, when do I feel better? Yeah. When am I going to feel better? And realizing that it's a practice, that there's there, there's there is no sort of well, unless you want to um, go down a, a medicine route. Yeah. Um, there is no sort of patch. Mm -hmm. or quick fix and I think that that kind of freaks people out sometimes it does um, it freaked me out for sure <laughs> um, but I think, I think that it's probably one of the things that I struggled the most to come to terms yep. with was that I wasn't just going to press a button or take a pill or you know flick a switch and it was just going to go away mm -hmm. you know I mean? but I think that um, if I had some if I had somebody there that I had said to them like when will this when will this end and, mm -hmm. and they would be straight up and go it never ends it, it it it's life it's part of life yeah. and and you need to practice at keeping your emotions in check mm -hmm. and keeping your thoughts in check and these different bits and pieces i think i would have felt a lot better about it i think a lot of what freaked me out was i, I realized that 
but I, I, I didn't know if yeah. that was true. You need to adapt to your own process. It's got to be individual to you. It's got to work for you. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's one of the things that, obviously, having sort of failed to put that process in place a number of times through the years, the negative results of that are just something that you can't deal with. You know, 35, 36 years old, and you've got a family. You've got to get rid of those habits. You've got to, you know, sort of combat those outbursts and, you mm-hmm. know, sort of, spells where you're no particularly good for anybody never mind just yourself you know what i mean mm-hmm. um kind of as we were talking in the build up to this um we were looking at the you know the, the the examples of toxic masculinity and you know guys like us who face these scenarios and don't deal with them properly and what comes out of that is you know so it's changed as the age has changed in the 21st century, you know what For I mean? Sure. But, you know, back in the day it was that, you know, we just disappeared inside a bottle of whiskey and, you know, sat in a corner and, mm-hmm. you know, seen it until we hit the average life expectancy and pots were clogged, you know? Mm-hmm. Whereas now there's guys out there who are, you know, advocating mass murder, you know what I mean? Because they kind of get a girlfriend online, yep. these, these incel guys and stuff like that. I mean, it's, uh, aye. What we it's tend to do nowadays is manage your condition. For you sure. Know what, I mean? like, what we tend to do nowadays is we like we tend to project, and I think that <clears throat> um, the idea that we have any kind of control over something that's so out of control. Yeah. So if somebody had I came to me and said, <clears throat> when I realised what was going on, um, and I think that in other episodes I'll, I'll probably go into how I realised. Um, basically, physical symptoms. Mm-hmm. Um, if they had said to me at that moment um, and that sort of crisis moment uh, oh by the way you've done this to yourself I think I would have probably I don't know how I would have reacted to that that's something that I've came to terms with post recovery Mm -hmm. where I've looked back and reflected and went I did that to myself there's nobody else to blame because at first I blamed other people or I blamed outside influences work pressure in a relationship this and that and ultimately even if you, I, I did have a lot of pressure, even if I did have a failing relationship, even if I did have uh, issues around my dad dying when I was young, the the way that my mum's been post my dad dying, all these things all come into it, I've still done that to myself. Mm. Um, and I've still allowed myself to get into that situation. And that's something that I really focus on is um, how did I let myself that get there? It was, I sleepwalked into it. Mm-hmm. And it's a horrible feeling. Horrible, horrible feeling. How I would imagine most people experience addiction is that it's one of these things that is not really an issue that becomes a bit of an issue that becomes a big issue. Mm -hmm. Um, As I say, in in previous times, myself, I've had bouts of alcoholism and stuff like that in my younger days when I just didn't have the first clue how to process what was going on, you know, in my head. Um, As I say, nowadays it's... It's something you've got to go through, you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. um, and as you say, it's something you've got to take a level of responsibility for. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like, the problem with that is that for a lot of folk, and, and myself included, like at, at my worst, you know, I feel quite disconnected from myself. I feel like as much as the lights are on, I don't often feel as though at my worst there's actually a lot of like, active control. It's just mm-hmm. I'm just sort of passively viewing it's like numbness. this I, like, sort of train crash happening mm-hmm. in slow motion, you know what I mean? So... It's, aye, it's, I had it's a, a tough balance. I you know had what a mean? different experience, um, and I, I don't. I've 
for everything that I've read online and I've read a lot, <laughs> like I've read a lot about porn addiction online. Okay. Um, for everything I've read online, it's it seems to be something that gradually, but it for me it felt like I was fine, and then I just something like a light went off my head and went, "What's going on here?" Uh, and as soon as I said that, I asked myself that question, everything started to fail. Yeah. Like my psyche, like my everything. I just felt like everything. It was almost like I was I was like holding mm-hmm. everything up, and it was like I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm fine. And then as soon as the voice in the back of my head went, "Maybe you're no fine," mm-hmm. it just crashed down on top of me, and I had yeah. to I had to fix it that day. It mm-hmm. was like um, that's I can imagine that for you. I don't imagine yeah, you spent a lot of time I've, dwelling on it. That's part of my. That, I think that's part of the person that I am. Where I was like, this ends right now. And mm. I f- and that was it. I, dr- I drew a line in the sand, and I never, I've, I've, I've never really went back. I mean, as far as like this is the, this is what I was going to ask you. This is what I was leading to. That mm-hmm. do you f- did you find post alcoholic spouts? Mm-hmm. Did you think it was? So did you did you draw a line and go no drink maybe for ninety days? The way that like recovery would actively mm. say don't ever go back unless you feel like you so can control it. So I never actively worked a programme. There was a period of time when I was recovering for the first sort of bout where I went, right, I think I run up like some like three grand of like credit card debt in like six weeks on just just nights out, drinking, drugs, the whole thing, the whole nine yards were involved. Sounds like fun, mate. Um, well, they were. <laughs> like, not going to lie. Um, but uh, you, you pay the price. Um I was aware, having done like a, a tiny bit of psychology uh, in my first year at uni, as some of the steps involved in these, you know, step programs, and you know, removed myself from my circle of friends and deleted phone numbers, and basically just kind of like locked myself up for, you know, mm-hmm. probably two or three months. I would say I can remember that because um, I think we really just had just kind of reacquainted ourselves mm-hmm. with each other at that point. Um, and I think he's come along at the right time because it, you know this new circle of friends kind of popped up at the time when I was having to get away for the old get one. Away for the old one, I can remember that time. And if this is the weird thing, this is and this is the stuff that like I'm learning about. And I was speaking about this yesterday. Um, is about a uh, perspective. Mm-hmm. I, I, I've got nothing but good memories about that time, and <laughs> nothing about good memories about spending yeah. time with you. It's no somebody was to be like you were spending time with an alcoholic and the ideas that would come up into your mind about what that would be like. I mean, we used to sit and listen to music, hours on end, yep. get stoned, yep. go out. You Absolutely. know what I mean? Gigs. We were young guys, you know yeah, what I mean? We were young guys and for me to the think problem back... Is, is that I was doing that with you on a Wednesday and then with another group of folk on a Thursday and then Friday and then back with you mm-hmm. on the Saturday and like, although we were seeing each other twice a week, I was on it, you know, seven days a week, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like, it was... The Am Road was jokingly referred to as the House of the Rising Sun, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Just because you were always there with the windies cracked, you know what I mean? It was it was madness when you look back well, on it. If, if the podcast takes off, maybe we'll get a plaque with it. <laughs> <laughs> it's like Dark Mode one day, mate, with House of the Rising Sun on it. That bastard died um, and lived here. <laughs> aye, perhaps. So, both massive Celtic fans, Yep. season ticket holder, ex-season ticket holder, I work retail, Um sounds like an excuse but pre- previously i would buy my season ticket and what retail and just be like i'm 
funding the money, the club, but I, I can't afford to do yeah. that. I genuinely can't afford to do that anymore. I will so have breaks. I've I, had breaks I've myself. I'm going to get back. The thing about it is, is that in last season, uh, sorry, two seasons ago, I was like, I don't want it. Last season, I was like, mm, I might. This season, I'm like, a day. Next season, I'll probably get my season ticket. <laughs> um, if I can get one, um, that is. It's getting close. But the, the podcast, even though I'd be really keen to maybe touch on some of the Celtic stuff, yep. um, it isn't really about that. No. For me, even though it's called Rebel City. And the Rebel City thing is mere about, well, I think the rebellious nature of Glasgow. You know what I mean? Like, I think... You know, I'm reminded this week where, you know, the 100-year birthday of Nelson Mandela, how he received Glasgow and, you know, his freedom. Like, you know, I remember as a youngster, you know, the poll tax and the protests that went against Thatcher. And, and you know, even when, you know, in the world of social media, you go back to the lost Glasgow posts about, you know, Churchill sending tax into Glasgow. Like, it's always been a rebellious place. You know what I mean? For like, sure. And that, for me, rings truer than... You know any sort of football connotation as much mm-hmm. as I'm um, Celtic man. Like, it's as you say, it's not really going to be the focus. I think there's definitely some interesting stuff going on uh, in and around the club. I think you know the recent thing about you know being the first club in the UK to have safe standing. You know, I mean, what are the implications of that for the rest of the UK? And all the clubs are trying to get it and can't. Um, you know, things about you know the female sanitary towels and products. I mean, that's. Is brilliant for me, you know what I mean? Like it's me too. right fitting in with the, the you know the founding sort of ethos of the club. Mm-hmm. But you know what the football really side, I would rather talk about football in general. I'm a big yeah. fan of Scottish football. Um, I know it gets talked on a lot, and and rightfully so in some cases. But at the same time, I've cancelled my Sky subscription. I've got a BT login. If I get a choice between an English game and a Scottish game, I watch the Scottish it's game, Scottish even game. if it's on Alba. Um, so you know, I'll definitely like to talk about mm-hmm. it in a mere wider sense. What was intriguing for me um, with the sanitary towel situation mm-hmm. was the amount of men that come out and were like, what? Uh, and it's like, how does it impact you? I don't, yeah. Why does it even bother you? Um, crazy. If, anybo- ah, if anybody, they can hit us up on Twitter if anybody's got a comeback for that. But if you were genuinely sitting and posting about, uh, I don't think that women should get free sanitary towels at the football you're a moron for me, <laughs> just, unfortunately. Um, it's no impact on you. It's no costing yeah. any real money. And it might actually genuinely help somebody who was in need of help. You know what I mean? Like, so it's all good for me. Aye, perfect. But I, um, other than that, um, politically, like, how are we doing on time? Ten minutes. Politically, um, I'm a bit of a nomad. I've, mm. I've went for Labour, ASMP, to just being pro-independence in Scotland as far as the microcosm of like yep. the UK goes. Um, I voted against Brexit. I voted for Scottish independence. Um, I, I don't really want to say that I'm anti-anything, mm. but I'm definitely anti-Boris Johnson. That's, mm. for, that, that's for sure. I can remember... I can you know, get behind that. I've I, I seen a thing yeah, yesterday where the, a guy was posting on Twitter about that Boris Johnson was better than... Uh, Jacob Rees okay. Gammon face that, <laughs> Boris Johnston is the best guy for the job and I, the Jacob Rees Mogg guy looks like one of Jacob the, the muppets you know the big is it Beaker what was the one with the big uh, he does look cylindrical like, heat uh, um, Bert Melny is it Bert Melny Maybe, one of the two yeah. um, he uh, I, and, and I can remember going back to, uh, 
I was like a 15-year-old, seriously politically unaware person and was watching, have I got news for you with my dad? Okay. And was sitting and going, that guy Boris is hilarious. Uh, and yes. my dad turned and said to me, he's dangerous. Yes. And I was like, how can he be dangerous? He's funny. He went, that's why he's dangerous because, and th this is in, what, 98? Uh, it was like, there's a lot of idiots out there that will vote for somebody that's funny over somebody that's intelligent. Yep. Um, Look at Trump. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and... <clears throat> Really, really, I try and take politics on a case by case basis. I don't really. I try and I've I became aware again two years ago when I woke up that I was really identity politics. I was really like socialism, okay. left, white. I didn't really understand what that meant. It was more a populist. When I uh, say you were a socialist, that I'm a socialist. Like in Facebook memes. <laughs> Meme socialist, not champagne socialist. Um, the the I I I, I, don't, I didn't understand that. I'd, I'd, I'd never read Marx. Yeah. I, I had no idea what left and right. I just knew that because I was working class and I was for Scotland that I was that left. That was what was expected of you. Generational people voting for Labour, that's me. And what really changed... Mine was just mere don't vote for Tories. Same sort of sentiment, <laughs> really, isn't it? Um, and that's really my political outlook. Mm -hmm. um, I, don't, I, I don't subscribe to anything. I think that this is part of our problem. Is, is that we've been just divided into left and right. Mm -hmm. And even if you're marginally left to the right, you're a communist. Yeah. And even if you're marginally right to the left, you're a Nazi. You're a Nazi. Aye. And I think that this is part of the, the discourse that we're seeing in society and it's part of what feeds a lot of sort of potentially mental health issues in people. It's um, it's fragmenting us yeah. into this real Divide small, and conquer. And I think that it's part of divide and conquer. It definitely is. I mean, you only have to look at um, as we say, like Trump, Brexit, Cambridge Analytical, you know, all these kind of like big data tech companies that, you know, break down every microcosm of what we say and do online to then drive wedges between us. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like that is the entire purpose of it. Um, you know, it's resulted in the fraudulent victory in what, three of the last major elections, you know, Brexit, Trump, you know, general elections, potentially even, you know, suggestions that it goes as far back as Indiref as though, although, I, you know, I think we just could be fair and square, to be honest with you, but mm. you hear the murmurings, no, no, they're, be, you know, believed, but at the same time, you know, there's a lot of it going on around the world, and it is at that, as you say, identity, you know what I mean, like, when you look at it, it's Trump talking about bad hombres, and, you know, Nigel Farage standing in front of billboards where immigrants lined up as though it's like Nazi propaganda and this is like 21st century Britain it's absolute madness you know what I mean it, it really is it's um it, what what's really getting my goat is is that the same people that are standing shoulder to shoulder with guys like Farage go back to that we we fought the Nazis mm. and it's like but you're standing shoulder to shoulder with somebody that's even if he if he's no a Nazi mm-hmm it, it's the same ideology Aye. and what we're doing is we're making these same mistakes air and air and air again it's almost like 2008 um housing market crashes like the wall street crash and, mm -hmm. and it and it just seems to just mirror and in, in a way that um i don't understand why nobody else can see it but mm. i can understand why people don't see it because it's not reported mm. nobody knows about it and um, i read an interesting thing or watched an interesting video by a guy on twitter that kind of analysed what's happened with Putin, Trump, yep. um, Theresa May, Jeremy Corbyn and 
this sort of Cambridge Analytica stuff, and it's really interesting. So I'll maybe post something about it on the Twitter feed because cool. I think we're going to run out of time. Um, um, six minutes left. I, well, so I mean, I'm to... actually in the process just now. Part of the what I'm doing in the background here is obviously doing a bit of reading, um, something I've always enjoyed and kind of fell away for. And I kind of started, I seen it on the Daily Show, a guy called Michael V. Hayden, who was the former head of the NSA and the former head of the CIA. And he's actually recently wrote a book called The, the Attack on Democracy, um, a Diplomacy, not Assault on Intelligence, sorry. Um, and it's basically him breaking down this sort of post-truth. And it's, it's quite interesting. And he obviously is writing in quite a familiar style, but... It's hard to really feel any sympathy for a guy who was head of the NSA and the CIA. General Michael uh, Hayden. Yeah, I mean, so, he's about as you know military and industrial establishment as, as it gets. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, it takes you know Trump and Putin and, and all this sort of new sort of post-truth campaign that he bits. But at the same time, he completely neglects to mention that his offices and operatives have been doing that mm-hmm. all in the world for you know. 50 years yep. you know and what I mean like, it, so, so I, I, as much to, as it happened there's only a certain level of sympathy I've got mm-hmm. for the Americans but I in think that we need people and we need to hold the people up even though this is part of um, my ideals on how, how do we get others mm-hmm. because we're stuck um, I think we need like a sort of South African approach Nelson Mandela where we don't drag we don't do Russian revolution yep. we don't take the lizard people out and um and, and, and string them up to yeah, lampposts. We, we, we instead offer them an amnesty. Yeah, step forward and tell us what you did. Exactly. And I think people like this guy, if he's truth, uh, if it's truthful and um, I'm interested, I'm going to get the book. Um, people like him need to be held up. Mm. This is one of the people that come out. And, and I think that that's something that we're sh- we struggle today because we're so fragmented. Yeah. So there'll always be people that will attack. Um, there's also mechanisms in place to just shout these people down there. I mean, when you look at Snowden, um, for example, I mean, the minute a story of that kind of outbreaks, you know, the right-wing media or across the world just goes into straight attack mode. So it's not about what the guy is saying anymore. It's the fact that the guy is saying anything because he's not supposed to. And the narrative just instantly gets flipped and changed. So, you know, these sort of people, these fragmented groups that you're talking about, they know how to react. It's like dog whistle. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And it's always met with outrage. Yep. Same bloggers, same tweeters, bots and all the rest. It's just churning out the same nonsense. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? And ordinary people then are like, well, hold on a minute, this guy's a traitor. Rather than, hold on a minute, this guy's telling us something that we really need to know here. Or okay. potentially need to know. Well, it's been a quick half hour, man. And uh, we've, I think we've touched on a couple of bits and pieces. But people um, a flavour of what we're going to be doing. Yeah. Um, I'm a ex-musician, or still play, but no in any sort of capacity of which uh, being in a band. Um, and I part of this... No musical talent whatsoever. <laughs> I've heard you sing, that's not true. Um, <laughs> um, uh, Sorry. Might be, might be a tune, it's in something. It's in Aki, like mm. that. People like it's in Aki. So part of what I want to do with this podcast, I want to engage with musicians and also I think that there's a lot of artistic people that are um, that struggle with their mental health. I think that uh, people, it's an outlet, it's mm-hmm. a big outlet and uh, it's, it, it's a dying art mm-hmm. being in a band and playing music, even though you can go and you can find bands no problem at all. Um, I don't feel that there's a lot of true... Um, 
a true reflection of that these types of things happening in the sort of media like bands don't get a chance unless yep. you're Lady Gaga unless you're instead um, going to sell out the hydro Cardi B mm. Cardi B is the, the biggest the biggest thing that nah no for me but anyway um, this is Chapterverse uh, Chapterverse are a band for London they are going to be our first guests they're playing in Glasgow on the 25th of July in the garage attic and if you're in a metal um, or just rock. It's hard to really, yeah, it's yeah. hard to really give like a sort of pigeonhole description of what they do. For but sure. we've seen them three or four times now, and yep. they've been absolutely banging every time. So but some energy live. Yeah, man. crazy. So these guys are going to be on next week, um, and we're just going to end the podcast with just a wee bit of their video. This song's called Magazines. It's uh, it was out last year. So I just want to say thanks very much to Tricky, um, a tech. Superb, um, and thanks very much to Sean who did the artwork, yep. uh, my girlfriend, and just say thanks very much to you, Matt. Like, cheers, mate. Pleasure, man. Until um, next week, and until I, the next time, I've I've loved this man. So thanks very much. Brilliant. This is chapter verse. Cheers, guys. Catch you later.
So, episode one, um, we decided that we're just going to do a second part. Um, maybe another 20 minutes, half hour, we'll see what happens. So, we'd finished on, um, before we had went to chapter and verse, we'd finished on politics and mm. our political outlook. And I was saying that um, I'm a bit of a nomad. I don't really know where my political allegiances lie. It's case by case basis for yep. me. Um, but I know that you've got a history, a, like education around politics. Mm. So, your your political view and outlook something that I respect. Okay. Um, and Cheers. when, <laughs> but when you speak, I listen. Um, okay. That that's um, and so I'm really interested to know like how you see what's going on just now because we're in a, a really interesting political time. Um, we definitely are. Um, yeah, I mean, as I said, I think earlier on, I did a bit of politics at uni. It's always something that I've had an interest in, kind of similar to what you were saying earlier on about just coming from an East End sort of working class background, there are certain things that get drilled into at a young age in certain circumstances. Uh, and it just kind of took with me, I think it's primarily because I really enjoy arguing with people um, a lot of the time. What, and kind of that kind of sucked me in a bit. But primarily, I think, in, in the minute, especially in America, like I've always loved like following American politics. And it's kind of like I was saying to you, um, you know, I watch it the same way that other people watch the NFL. Like, I'm not expecting anything meaningful to come out yet, but at the same time, it's it's a fun mm-hmm. sport to watch. So watch the like, podcast where they said that uh, politics is WWE. In a lot of respects, this is exactly what American politics and it's is. Crossed it's crossed over because Trump, so Trump like, is in the WWE <laughs> news and politics. So maybe that's why he's made it this far is that he knows how to choke slam somebody, you know. Um, but I think just the way the the two of them go up against each other. I mean. We have the the recent example where, at the you know the end of the Obama administration, the Republicans just jammed up his Supreme Court nominee. Um, some of the lies they told about procedure and whatnot were just hilarious. Um, the result of that now is that Trump, in his first term, is now about to appoint his second um, Supreme Court justice, and it's like a frightening time for a lot of Americans because this is something that you know is a check and balance in the American system and it has changed a lot over the years in terms of abortion, in terms of gay rights, in terms of civil rights and all that kind of activism that's happened since the 60s all through America and it's at risk now because for potentially, you know, these two lifetime appointments there'll be a majority conservative sort of decision making process in place and you're talking 40-50 years. So it's all on the table again, gay rights, abortion, it's all up for grabs in America and it's potentially a massive step back for everybody. The Supreme Court Justice, the people, the lawmakers in America? So they're the, like the, the sort of final decision. So if somebody has like constitutional questions or questions of law, they go through their various stages in the build up to it, but the longer and more they appeal these things, the higher up the court process it goes and it eventually ends at the Supreme Court. So... I think one of the main examples you might have heard of is the gay cake makers, where, you know, there was yep. people asked for a gay wedding cake and were told no, and that kind of just went the entire distance and then led to subsequent, you know, sort of changes in the law. So when these guys make rulings, it sets precedent across the rest of the country, even though as federal states, they still have decisions to make. Okay. So these two that have been appointed, um, who are they? Um, <laughs> off the top of my head, I don't remember their names, um, but 
as it stands, they're both sort of Trump appointees. Um, the first guy, I remember his face, but no his name. Sorry. Right. And Trump's like a weird one because he's a traditionally he's a Democrat. And he's, he's a traditional liberal. Yeah. And that seems to like bring questions up with me about um, how legitimate his actual presidency is. Okay. Because I think that some of the decisions that he's made, um, they kind of go against his, his outlook that he's put across previous. I think if you mm. watch a lot of stuff when he was like younger, he was a wee bit more honest, a yeah. wee bit less um, pushing the brand. And he just seemed like a sort of traditional liberal, but this Trump, that some of the stuff that he's done... It's hard uh, from not you've seen the liberal when there's pictures of him at like Bill Clinton's wedding and stuff like that. Oh, that's it. And all these... It, yeah, that that's it. It just confuses me. Um, is he just a puppet? I think so. Um, I don't know. I think he's a sort of wind dial, really. I mean, I think given that we can't trust anything that he says now, I think it's probably a bit maybe naive to believe anything he's ever said in the past. Um, I think he's always just adapted to what his surroundings require him and what he's trying to achieve at, at that period of time. Um, I mean, he's, uh, he's, he's something that's indicative of a wider thing that's happening. I mean, you look at your Duartes and obviously strong men and like your Putins and your North Korea. Like, he he admires these guys, you know what I mean? Like, and that's quite frightening, you know what I mean? Like, the changes that he's making, although he may have spoke liberally in the past, or know even remotely what is happening at the minute. I mean, he's, you know, infant care facilities. I mean, it's like pure doublespeak for baby jails, you know what I mean? It's literally... <laughs> Orwellian, you know what I mean? Like, so, I don't think we can really. But base the, on then the question that I think the question that's coming up for me is: Is it him? I don't think it's him. I think it's. I, I think that the people behind the scenes don't really change hmm. that much. Um, I can remember back, I've, like just this real example uh, back in like the ninety six, ninety seven, and a guy that I went to school with. Um, I won't. I, I won't name him. Um, his dad was a counsellor. Okay. And his dad was a Tory councillor under Major and Oops. then a Labour councillor under Blair. Right. So I think these things happen where mm -hmm. people just shift, whoever's the winner. And I think it's it, there will be slight changes in, in the, the, the policies, but ultimately they move the, the machine forward. Yeah. I mean, look at the guy we were talking about earlier on, um, you know, Michael V. Hayden. He served under... Bush and Obama, you know what I mean? Like, so he's not really a political appointee, but held to massive organisational positions within both the NSA and the CIA. You had Michael Flynn, who, you know, was an administrative advisor under Obama before he was sacked and then hired by Trump and then sacked. And, aye, as you say, it's all the same faces playing the yep. same game. But I think, obviously, the direction... I do believe that Trump is trying to steer it as much as he can because I don't think his ego will actually allow for anything less. I mean, the you know the main example or the sort of funniest example of that recently for me has been the notion of this space force. You know what I mean? Like, it's like I love. I, I, <laughs> there's something about that that I just love. It's like space force. Yeah, it, it's so ridiculous that. Um, but this is the thing is that it's, it sounds ridiculous <coughs> because Trump said it right, but. It's actually a notion that's been kicking about for a long time. Um, I was reading the other day there that 
the first time it actually came up in like sort of congressional hearings and whatnot in America was like 1999, and it was in a committee led by none other than Donald Rumsfeld, you know? And then you're like, was he actually like trying to build a Death Star? You know what I mean? Like, I think that was probably <laughs> him and like Dick Cheney, you know what I mean? Like Palpatine, etc. But like, they were talking about it for the sense that so much of our world is now influenced by what's happening in space. So mobile phones, GPS, like a lot of hardware in space facilitates like how we live in the modern world. Yeah. So by definition, that should be protected because what happens if a hostile nation hacks a satellite and sends you on a magical mystery tour of a foreign city and you wind up in a, you know, one of your guys winds up in a warehouse where he's, you know, renditioned and all sorts, you know what I mean? Like, there's implications that they see in the real world that require a level of protection. But in reading up on it as well, it's quite funny to see how many people like have said it's an absolutely nonsensical idea because they've already got NASA, they've already got the Air Force. And like look it up. I mean, there's literally a list of like former CIA, Pentagon, Army, Navy, Joint Chiefs of Staff, like all these guys are going, don't need it. Like don't need it. But uh I, I would quite like to see a Trump Space Force to be honest. Just <laughs> just just purely for like the gold uniforms. Like I think the gold uniforms would really sell it. <laughs> the the Trump Space Force. And um, where do you think Branson fits into all this? Because he bought NASA mm-hmm. um and took uh, hired a lot of their engineers, he bought he bought like sites off them okay. um to, to do the Virgin Galactic stuff. Yeah. I just I wonder where he fits into this. I wonder I mean that is that is a private company continuing the work of NASA. Yeah. Um which is kinda like But I think that's how space is going to be conquered. Like the days of, you know, John F. Kennedy standing there going like we're going to the moon because it'll be cool or like done. Like governments don't justify that level of spending anymore. And like the easiest way that especially in America to get anything done is with corporate sponsorship. Or War, no, well, like, as we're seeing, I think conquest that, that, or uh, yeah. operations, um, protecting the interests of the people. I think you'll be encountering fifty years from now, you know, Mars sponsored by Virgin Galactic, or you know, Intergalactic or whatever they're going to call mm-hmm. themselves. Virgin Galactic. Um, it, it, it's weird that they've they've not done their first flight. I mean, if Elon Musk can get his car into space, and uh, like, how can Branson not get that? I mean. So, something strange about that, but I, I suppose we could... I, I don't know that were, much about it. I think a lot of what they were concentrating on was, like, sub-stratospheric, like, so on the sort of borderline of the atmosphere and space yep. at the minute, so... Passenger plane and thing. all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, there's loads of interesting work going on. I mean, in the news last week, there was the bids for the Scottish spaceport. So, like, Scotland's actually going to have yep. its own like, it spaceport, or at least... Press week. Um, that seems to be the front runner, but I think there's a number of sites, and I think if this one's a success, they expect more again. So, and it's about the maintenance and you know upkeeper, all the stuff that's already so, out there. So, what, what is that spaceport? Is is that privately funded? Who's opening this spaceport? Why are we <clears throat> considering? So, that? there's got to be a number of corporate interests involved in it because we're obviously it's about maintaining and the upkeeper of the stuff that's up mm-hmm. there. Um, I would kind of like to see Scotland go and colonise Mars, you know, just get the salt tire on it. We don't need independence anymore, we've got Mars. But again, that's probably a while off. Um, but there's got to be government funding as well. I mean, the 
the future is all this stuff. So the sooner that we get a grip of it, the better. Mm. Do you believe in uh, extraterrestrial life? Oof. Because <laughs> because I, I've got... I believe uh, in the possibility I've, of extraterrestrial okay. life. Um, the What interests me about the, the Space Force stuff is the 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 Warren Von Braun stuff, the Operation Paperclip guy. Um, if anybody's interested, I would recommend that you go and read about Operation Paperclip because it's basically uh, the Americans and the Russians divvied up the intelligence community post-Second World War. They mm -hmm. took the Nazi intellectuals and yeah, uh, divvied them up. And Warren Von Braun was the guy that invented what the the rockets the nazi rocket and he then invented the rocket that took them to the moon right um this this guy on his deathbed uh told his uh nanny who he was in love with okay so um you can google this and have a have a wee read on his deathbed he, he told her about what was to come and this is in 87 or 88 i'm okay. not sure it was in the 80s i'm pretty sure that the guy died but um, and they told her that first they would get rid of the dictators, then they would create a, an army with no nation, which is ISIS, or the te terrorism, like the war on terror. Yeah. Then will come a, a false flag alien invasion, okay. and it will unite everybody under the one world government. And that's what this guy said. Okay. Um, he, Are we saying allegedly here? Well... <laughs> This is, I mean, I think it was documented that this is okay. what the guy said. Whether or not it's, like, Aye. nonsense, whether or not, like, what I think what's telling was is that um, his nanny, he, he tried to, like, marry her, and she was like, no. And, okay. like, it's not going to be like that, but... Being a Nazi was a deal breaker. I think I think it was. Aye. And, um, but he he, he, he he said that he loved her, and this is why he was telling her these things. Mm -hmm. and, and a lot of it came true. Aye. If it, if it was said in the eighties, and like it, it's hard. Obviously, like you can get your tinfoil hat on and you can sit and you could be like, but this type of thing feeds into that. And I think that if you start to put the two and two together, um, you get like a weird space of going like, well, Maybe. is this true? Is this true? Maybe I. Um, that I I just like that type of situation. It just seems like it's too much a coincidence. Okay. I don't know, man. I'm I'm a bit sceptical on the whole sort of conspiracy side of things, generally speaking. Like, um, I'm less sceptical. Uh, I think this is <laughs> like we're talking. I think this is one of these areas where we kind of diverged in recent years. Um, like, I think in terms of the, you know the wider kind of like space aliens and all that kind of stuff, you can't with all the infinite possibilities out there definitively say that no, there isn't. Um, maybe it's a matter of time. Maybe we never get to bump into each other. It's a it's a big gaff. You know what I mean? Like, um, Trump and his space thing, I think it's just it's just his posturing. You know what I mean? Like he he wants that Kennedy moment. He wants that like pure. I'm going to do something great, and you will remember me forever mm -hmm. for something other than talking about grabbing pussies, and you know, caging kids and stuff like that. You know what I mean? He wants that grandiose like you know thing. He wants you know Trump on the side of the moon. You know what I mean? Like or the our equivalent. And I think this is his kind of swing at that. You know what I mean? Like to say, oh, you know. I'm out there protecting space for America. Mm -hmm. And I don't really personally see him being able to think much far beyond that. Right. And <clears throat> I think that you're... I mean, it's definitely... It seems to be like almost like a movie 
type situation. <laughs> but I, I think that that's the type of thing that Trump, you know, he's he's looking for that movie moment. He wants, he like you're saying, he wants to be remembered. Definitely. Um, the so like with the Trump and the Space Force stuff, do you think that that could potentially be because he promised that the, the war in the Middle East would end? And that, and so obviously, like, there, there's the, in, the industrial war complex that would create a massive hole, mm. um, and the money that they spend on on um, like <clears throat> their army and, and especially in the Middle East, just now, it's it's, it's insane. Yeah. I mean, they, they ran out of bombs in 2016 because they dropped they just dropped bombs. So that that's just burning through yeah. to replace. I mean, we, we know that they did that in the first Persian so Gulf War. That was one of the big sort of. So the, the question is really: Is the space uh, force a, a way for him to keep that promise so that his legacy is mm. intact and he ends that war in the Middle East? But the, the industrial war complex can continue to spend and, in fact, spend more because they're going to need to spend in rocket ships well, and like, take people into space. Yeah, um, I mean, it's, it's it's a possibility. I mean, it's uh, it boggles my mind that we could potentially see any resemblance of like Trump resolving both North Korea and the Middle East. Like, I don't think, you know, the greatest minds in like political history have never managed it and, you know, I don't think he's gonna be the guy. But at the same time, one of the biggest sort of criticisms that the guys that we're talking about, the Joint Chiefs of Staff, the head of the Navy, the you know, head of this, that and the other, that all rejected the Space Force for the reasons for for money. You know, it's just a boondoggle, like we have all these structures in place, we don't need it you'd be spending money on bureaucracy rather than sort of anything else. Um, so I think it is just a complete sort of vanity project, you know what I mean? But then that, that's not really surprising for this guy, you know what I mean? Like he went to North Korea, conceded a whole load of stuff for nothing just to get a photo opportunity. He then did the same last week against his boss at his, you know, sort of performance review or whatever he was there for, you know what I mean? Because like, mm-hmm. they never told anybody, but I'm just going to go and meet Putin. It's just going to meet him and two interpreters. That's strange. What are you talking about? No, I can't tell you. don't know. Mm-hmm. Probably some of this stuff, and then they come in to go. Did you mention any of that stuff? And they went, "No." <laughs> would I mean? Would you reckon to the the whole statement? Um, would it, would he? Do you think he's a, he's just pleasing Trump? Uh, sorry, pleasing Putin in the moment, mm-hmm. and just like you're saying, he goes and he just concedes. Yeah. Um, like he, the opposite of what he puts out there. So it's like he sits in the room and he goes. Just anything, he just so that I can go to the cameras and just be like, look at the strongman, right. which I think he's up against a former like head of the KGB. I mean, this guy's like a pure trained professional. Like Trump's mentally strong, though, man. <laughs> you remember, he's like a totally stable genius. Stable genius, yeah, that is it. Yeah, 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 yeah. But he, I mean, he can't negotiate like deals for stakes or you know sell Trump vodka. But chances he go in a room one on one with a guy like Putin, like mm. none. I don't think he's necessarily like any stroll. Like I think for Russia, he's a useful idiot. So as they have a, a mechanism in place for the disruption of, you know, obviously the election, they were hacking, mm-hmm. and you know, there's been indictments and arrests and people taking plea deals already. So we know that the witch hunt he talks about is complete nonsense mm-hmm. because, like, four of his main guys in the campaign have already taken plea deals. Now, admittedly, no for collusion. But the investigation's thrown up so much dodgy stuff that they've all had to take it on the chin. So I think that the Russians definitely did it. Yeah. But at the same time, I don't think Trump was actively involved because yeah. you couldn't trust him not to make an absolute yeah. yeah. Of course. And I think that, that that comes back to compart- compartmentalizing 
Mm. Why would they, they would let never. Trump in on it? Ah, because then never. it's like letting the idiot in in the secret, and he's all ah. he's just going to get away. So I think that you're. I mean, I think that's spot the, on. The report from Congress showed that like American, American, 160 million Americans were exposed to like controversial content on Facebook alone, just as a result of obviously Russian interactions and interference and stuff like that. I mean, they'd like actual troll farms, you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. Which is a concept that absolutely boggles my mind. Like, an, an entire building full of people who are just paid to just ban people up all day. Like, I get behind some of that. It like, sounds, well, that I was just about to like, say, I was just about I mean? to say that it sounds, um, it sounds quite cool, that'd be great, but for my interactions on uh, social media and personally, when I have negative interactions online, I don't feel great about myself. Right. Um, I, I don't. It's just. It's not something that I'm. I'm like. I feel bad about, or that it's just something that happens to happen. It's like I, as in when you're negative, or when no, somebody's negative to you. Just either or. Yeah, either or. Um, and I, I think that the people that are maybe in the types of farms, I think they probably have some kind of fucking psychological impact on them being uh, that negative all the time. I mean, I think in terms of my own personal social media use, I still am kind of in the bubble at the minute. Like, some we've talked about in the build-up to this was following people that kind of obviously go against the narrative mm-hmm. that we already have and we're in heads about stuff. Maybe, obviously, get a bit of chat about it. You know what I mean? Hear people, that's kind of part of what we're trying to do here. I kind of struggled with that, to be honest with you, because of some of the, the you know... Some of the alt right guys that we were looking at just for the sake of seeing what they're saying, like found that like relentless negativity quite quite off putting, and ended up I think I lasted about five days, and I was like, look, man, no following these guys anymore. You know what I mean? Look, so I think I did kind of kind of insulate myself. It's something I maybe need to work on. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I don't have a lot of negative interactions because I really just talk shit. But for yeah. Bobby people, I don't know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? And I think that a lot of the times that that's like interacting within like the comfort zone, Definitely. or like um, and. You're right, when you take yourself outside that bubble, it's kind of shocking in a way. Like, you see some people's views and you're like, how could anybody think Aye. like that? Um, part of what I'm studying um, at uni's, um, you were saying earlier on, the, the communication skills, and part of it is try to put yourself in other people's shoes mm-hmm. um, and try to see the world the way that um, somebody else would see it. And that's it, it's really difficult but it makes it easier for me to read these things because I can know that I could ever put myself into the, the mindset of that type of person, but mm-hmm. I try and think about what causes a person to get to that point. Uh, and that makes it easier for me to digest their absolute disgusting views. Or it's, uh, it's I ask myself, Mary, a question or like, what has that guy encountered that he thinks like that? Yeah. Um, rather than just like, I don't like that. I don't think like that. Mm. What, what is going on here? And and it, it's it's difficult, but it 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 opens you up to different things. And yeah, I mean, I'm not necessarily you know the the, the snowflake in that sense. I, I I do have a level of you know negativity that I see, but at the same time, if it's ever directed to me, I don't like. Don't like these are I, these are people I don't really know. These are just you know characters on a screen a lot of the time, and I just mm-hmm. kind of let it go a lot of the time. So it's not something. I've been quite fortunate. I don't spend a lot of time worrying about the opinions of too many other people. Maybe that's something I need to work on. Uh, Maybe. Rather than anything else. But anyway, we'll just wrap it up there, man. Um, Like I said, it's uh, just to get a flavour of our opinions and how we're going to speak and what we've got coming up next. We've got chapter verse. We've got seen their video. 
um, and uh, we'll introduce the next show then. So cheers, Mark. Aye. I've had a ball, mate. Aye, it's been really good fun, man. I'm looking forward to doing more. And uh, cheers to everybody again, for aye, the contributions. Well, again, I appreciate man. it. Amazing. Cheers, guys. <laughs>